back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all of the latest and greatest news of the week. And where else could you start this week? I mean, something big happened, right? Of course, I'm referencing Bayern Munich signing of Jan Sommer. And after weeks and weeks of speculation, it went down. And that will be our big topic this week. What does it mean? What does the future look like? There is so much to discuss about this particular topic, but that's not the only thing we have on tap here. There is much more to discuss, as there always is, about Bayern Munich. So let's get right to it. Let's go right to our normal format, the five things that we learned this week. And of course, there is nowhere else you could start except for this. We learned this week that Bayern Munich made it official, Jan Sommer, is now a member of the squad. And for a lot of Bayern fans, this is a massive move for the club. And I think it, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone that could disagree with this statement, and it's one that I'll make. Bayern Munich, in light of a terrible situation with Manuel Neuer's broken leg, went out and they got the best available goalkeeper that they could. Now, I'm not saying that Jan Sommer is the best goalkeeper on earth, but he is the only one at that level that was available. And I think Bayern Munich did everything that it could to make sure that they were not going to play this Rook Ronda without a goalkeeper that was of that requisite quality. And I, I don't want that to sound like a shot at Sven Ulrich because if you've listened to me before, you know I would have been okay riding Sven Ulrich into this Rook Ronda and having him take a run at trying to win the Bundesliga, the Champions League, and the DFB Pokal. I would have been fine with all that. But when you're presented the chance to go out and get Jan Sommer, someone who speaks German, someone who has experience in all of those competitions, someone who has been able to really take his level of play and make it rise at those key moments, whether it was facing Bayern Munich or whether it was with Switzerland in international play, Sommer has proven that he is not going to wilt under those bright lights on the biggest stages. I think it's a brilliant signing. I think he is the one player that Bayern Munich could have went out and gotten that makes a big difference in how this team will be able to perform in the second half of the season. So a couple of weird things did go down with this. So You'll see a timeline on the BFW site that where we just tracked everything from the beginning uh, where Manuel Neuer got hurt down to the official signing. So if you get a chance, please check that out because it does kind of cover this whole odyssey of how Byron went from having a world-class goalkeeper with a broken leg, all the different and various links, all the ups and downs of the rumors with Summer to the final uh, conclusion where Summer signs his deal. But a couple of interesting things did play out over the past few days. We went from hearing that Gladbach was not going to sell Summer as recently as last weekend to everything hitting fast forward at the beginning of this week. And it was kind of crazy how it played out. Once we saw that uh, Gladbach was going to sign its target, Andreas Omlin, it was clear at that point that a move for Jan Summer to Bayern Munich was going to happen. There was no way that Gladbach was going to keep Omelin and going to have Summer just write out the rest of his contract. And although, it, to be honest, it could have been a feasible way to approach it, why not make some cash 
while you can. And that should have been Gladbach's mentality because Summer was almost definitely going to leave the club in the summer transfer window. So going out and getting cash for him just made sense. Now, sending him to a league rival, probably not ideal, but I don't think Gladbach is under the impression that they're going to win the league this year. I think that they are just hoping to qualify for European play. So I think Umlin probably gives them the opportunity to do that and is probably not a massive, massive downgrade from summer. But uh, in the end, the opportunity to get the money, to get someone who could at least fill summer's boots somewhat and keep the team competitive. I think it was a scenario where Gladbach had to do what was best for itself as a club, while it, in the end, probably hurt the competitiveness in the league because Bayern Munich went from looking at least a little bit susceptible to looking very, very strong. So we found out that news, and then things really started to to ramp up. On Wednesday, we had heard that Summer had agreed to a deal, that Gladbach had worked out the transfer arrangement, and then it was like hyper fast forward speed. Uh, we saw Summer arrive Wednesday night to get his medical. We saw him finish the medical Thursday morning and then attend training before any formal announcement was made. So uh, Summer was also wearing David Alaba's old number 27 during that training session. And then finally, after I'm sure he showered and got prettied up for his official signing photos, Summer was announced by Bayern Munich, and by all accounts, it seems to be a deal that works out for everyone. But the thing that I found most interesting, and this was a report from Bill that actually came out on Wednesday, was that Summer and Bayern Munich will have discussions after this season to see if he's going to stay to the end of his contract, which would end in 2025. Uh, And I felt this was interesting for a number of reasons, not the least of which is because Summer obviously presents a threat to Manuel Neuer. Uh, if there were any goalkeepers in the Bundesliga that could step in and challenge him, it was certainly going to be Jan Summer. The, the X factor in all of this is we don't know exactly what condition Manuel Neuer will return to the team in. Will he have the same mobility, flexibility, quickness? No one knows right now. And with this type of injury, it is pretty scary to think about where he could be and how long it might take him just to get back to a point where he'll be able to be competitive in that. So I found it extremely interesting that Byron entered into this. They paid the money that they had to pay. And if things do progress with Neuer where he can come back and take the reins once more, it's not as if Summer is definitely staying here and being a backup. I'm sure that's pretty good news for Sven Ulreich. It does sound like Byron and Summer have agreed that they will reassess the situation at the end of the season. And if they need to sell Summer, all they would be looking to do is re- recoup the money that they spent on him, which I think is a fair deal for everyone involved. You take Summer, you put him into a title race in the Bundesliga, you give him a chance to show what he can do in the Champions League. It's a win-win for everyone. And while it's not necessarily that short-term rental that I think some people were anticipating, it, it, it could potentially work out that way. The only difference is Summer has that assurance that if Neuer can't come back or there are complications with his recovery, Summer is going to be paid like a starting goalkeeper. And he has the security of having a longer term contract. I mean, granted, it's not a super long contract, but it's more than a six month deal that some people were anticipating. So I think it works out perfectly. As for how the rest of it fits in, 
when you look at Bayern Munich's now logjam at goalkeeper, you do see that Neuer's contract expires in 2024, which if he doesn't look great and the club opts to continue on with summer, there could be some kind of arrangement where the club makes the two goalkeepers coexist for a year before formally moving on from Neuer. Although I would say there's little chance that we will see them coexist and that if something does happen and Bayern thinks that Neuer is no longer the one, Neuer, I think at that point, would would try and force a sale for sure. Uh, but either way, Neuer's deal ends in 2024. Alexander Nubel, who was at AS Monaco on loan, and he will return at the end of the season. His contract runs through 2025, just like Summers, but it does look like that Nubel probably burnt his bridges with Bayern Munich, not returning and accepting this opportunity to prove himself and also help the club in the process. I mean, some people can point to the fact that AS Monaco was not ready to let him go. I think Nubel probably could have greased that situation along if he really did want to return to Bayern Munich. But it seems like he has turned the page on Bayern and he is no longer interested in being the goalkeeper of the future with the club. And if that's the case, I would anticipate that Bayern Munich does look to sell him this summer. And I think that's a move that probably both parties uh, could agree upon. As for Sven Ulreich, he has a contract through 2024 as well. He's kind of the <laughs> just the rope in this tug of war, to be honest. Whatever happens with Neuer, whatever happens with Summer, you have those two opposite sides. And then you have Ulreich in the middle, who has the security of knowing that he has at least one more year on his contract and that he can safely fulfill a backup role in Bayern, at Bayern Munich if he wants to. Or he can push the club to move on, which I, I don't anticipate him doing that. If you're going to be a backup somewhere, why would you not do it at Bayern Munich? You have the top-of-the-line facilities. You get good pay. You have a chance to experience the best of European football. It just makes sense if you're going to accept that role that you do it at Bayern Munich. Uh, and then if you really want to go deeper into uh, the Bayern Munich goalkeeper depth, you look at Johannes Schenk, who, young kid, uh, very solid prospect, but now his pathway to even being the number three goalkeeper, uh, at least past this season, is is probably not looking great for the immediate future. So I would anticipate Byron looks to keep him around, potentially maybe send him out on a loan next year. But either way, there's a lot that has to happen. But I do think that that was the huge takeaway for me, that Byron went out, they got the best that they, that they possibly could get. The only attainable, in my mind, world-class goalkeeper in this transfer window. They have an arrangement, allegedly, worked out with him that will allow both sides to reassess where everyone is at the end of the year, which will, or I should say, the end of the season, to allow both parties to decide what works best. And then it will also provide Bayern Munich at least some security with the way the contracts are structured and also some idea of what they need to do with their squad planning moving forward. I think this whole situation also helped flush out exactly where Alexander Nubel is, how he views the club, and what he sees for his future, which is apparently not much with Bayern Munich. So overall, I give this transfer an A+. Bayern did the absolute best it could do. There was no better move to be made. Listen, I know Summer is not perfect. I know he's going to have some miscues. But in the end, this is a, this is a about as pure as a goalkeeper as you can find, one, the best one available. He was the answer to the question, 
who is the best player Bayern Munich can get right now? Who is the best player that would allow them to compete at the highest level for the rest of this season? The answer across the board, Jan Sommer, brilliant move. I think Brazo should be applauded for this. As again, I, I say this all the time. I don't always necessarily agree with his moves. I don't always agree with the way that Bayern squad plans. I especially don't agree with the way that they overflood some positions and create the instances where you might create some disharmony for the team. But in this case, he did exactly what was needed. And whether it was one of his patented PowerPoints that closed the deal or not, we'll probably never know the answer to that. But he did a phenomenal job. And I think Nagelsmann, for the little bit of panic that we saw he might be having earlier in the week about maybe potentially feeling some heat that his job could be in jeopardy if Byron did not go out and get a better goalkeeper. Um, you know, I think he's got to be feeling pretty good for himself as well. So all of this just combines together to be the absolute best of a bad situation. Uh, when Manuel Neuer went down, it, it was panic time for the club, for a lot of fans. But Bayern Munich, as it always seems to do, went out and found the best solution. Um, and I think it, it's it's pretty much set the team up perfectly. And to be honest with you, I will say this. I had a little bit of doubt considering how Byron assessed things when Robert Lewandowski left and how that left such a huge gaping hole at the nine. And there was, to me, just a little bit of cockiness associated with, well, it doesn't matter if Lewandowski left. We will absolutely be able to fill that void with whoever. We'll make it work because we're Bayern Munich. And, and while the team's record is good, there's still a glaring hole at the nine. So I was a little worried that there would be some of that brazen uh, – <laughs> Uh, you know, just just overconfidence, but really there's not. You know, they went out and did what they needed to do and and created the situation w- which leaves the team in the best possible spot moving forward. So kudos to Brazo, kudos to Marco Nepp and the rest of the squad planners and to everyone that helped close the deal. They deserve a lot of credit for being able to make this work and really navigate through a very tough situation. Jan Sommer uh, should be the type of player that keeps Bayern Munich competitive in all three of their competitions moving forward for the rest of this season. The second thing we learned this week is another piece of exciting news. And this came courtesy of Fabrizio Romano, who said, Conrad Leimer has signed his deal with Bayern Munich, but nothing has been announced as of yet and that it should happen soon. So this week is, of course, a little awkward, right? Because Bayern Munich is playing RB Leipzig. So naturally, you would think that there's, uh, if there was uh, some smoke to the to the fire there, with the rumors uh, linking Bayern Munich to Conrad uh, Limer, you would think that this week it would start to ramp up a little bit. And of course, it, it certainly has with this news from Fabrizio Romano. Uh, if this was a home match for Bayern Munich, I would have expected there to be an announcement either after the game or on Sunday. Um, because I just feel like that's how Byron operates. Now, some of us at BFW kind of laugh because Byron has a penchant for announcing this kind of news to try and disrupt their teammates right before a match. But throughout this, I did not think that Byron would announce Slimer today or or even before the game tomorrow. No, it's tomorrow. I'm recording this on a Thursday. Uh, of course, the match day is Friday. Of course, it could happen that way. Um. And, and there's no way <laughs> to to really predict how Byron will react with this. But what we do know is if 
Fabrizio Romano has it correct, and he typically does, that Limer's already inked this deal, and now it's just really making the announcement formal and taking that picture where everyone is smiling, like we saw with Jan Sommer today. So uh, it's exciting news for a number of reasons. In my mind, I'm probably the, the only stick in the mud with this. I still feel like I don't know why you go out and get Limer um, to be a starter. I'm assuming you're going out to get him to be a starter when you have Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka, unless you really think that this team is going to shift to a 4-3-3 or some type of other formation where you could utilize all three of those players. Uh, again, I, I get wrapped up in overkill on a roster, and, and I get that Limer represents uh, a little bit different profile than what Kimmich or Leon Goretzka offer. I always see Limer as a six. Now, I know there are a lot of fans out there who think and who have valid reasons to think that Limer can be an eight more so than putting him in competition with Goretzka. The Bayern midfield situation is very complex, uh, let's be honest. And I've been one championing the fact that I think that Kimmich really wants to be more of an eight because he wants to push more forward offensively rather than sit back and dictate things. And and I have theorized that's why he worked so well with Marcel Sabitzer because Sabitzer sacrificed that part of his own game to become a better teammate and to become a better player for Bayern Munich. And he sat back and took that role that will, I would assume, now be filled by Joshua Kimmich for the rest of this season, allowing Leon Goretzka to be that box-to-box eight that we've all known him to be. When you add Limer to the mix next season, I'm very curious to see how it works out. I'm curious to see that if you know, to see if Limer does become a starter. I know he's been in and out of the RB Leipzig lineup, but it's all just very curious because I, I feel like Bayern Munich's long-term strategy of late has been adding these players that Nagelsmann is comfortable with from RB Leipzig. Uh, and by all means, uh, you know, it's worked. I mean, Upa Makano has been good. Sabitzer has been good. Uh, I have no knocks on those players this season. Uh, but I do think that it's it's intriguing to see why some of those Arbe Leipzig players have been targeted and how they'll fit in. The one thing that we do know is that Nagelsmann knows how to use those old Arbe, Arbe Leipzig players. And even last year when he had some trouble having Sabitzer integrate into the squad, it, I think that had more to do with Sabitzer and accepting a lesser role than it had to do with how Nagelsmann was using him. Uh, I worry a little bit about how Limer takes that role if he's not able to start. I think if you make this move, you're assuming you're going to start. You're thinking you're coming in. So maybe that he knows something we don't. Maybe there's a plan moving forward to shift to a 4-3-3 that would make using those three midfielders a little bit more uh, accessible, make it a little bit more easy. But Byron has a lot of questions in terms of how this will all fit together and how it will work, and not just in the central midfield, but at, at a number of positions. And we'll start to see some of that pain, I think, over the next few weeks as the team looks to figure out who its best wings are. So uh, Limer, of course, I think is a valuable player to have. That ball-winning skill set, not a bad distributor. I think those are good qualities. I think that uh, going out and and being able to win balls like he can, being a good tackler, I think that that will help. I'm just very curious to see how it all really does play out, where he starts, if he does start – Who's playing time he he bites into. Uh, everyone at this point is assuming it would be Goretzka. I I don't know if it's infamously, but theorized that Goretzka's time at Bayern Munich could be winding down given this Limer move. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. 
Uh, but I do feel like it's it's a good move for the overall team. But how it all comes together just leaves me questioning a lot of things. And and I'm probably not the only one. I think, you know, fans will definitely be excited about this, and they should be. But, you know, there's always the practicality of how this works, and that's what worries me. Of course, I, I am uh, someone who frets about these kind of things as if I am the coach of the squad and I have to make these decisions I don't know why I always have that mentality, but that's kind of how I view these things. When I take a step back and I lose that part of the mentality and I just view it as a fan, it's a great move because it adds a good player to an already deep squad. Anything that can improve a team is a good move. So kudos if that move gets done officially. I would think if all things happen, you know, if if things work themselves out, you could see an announcement perhaps on Saturday or Sunday or maybe even Monday. And maybe that's overshooting it. Maybe he, they Byron won't make this announcement until after the window closes. But, um, you know, Limer, by all accounts right now, is heading to Bayern Munich and has already agreed to his personal terms and signed the deal. So we'll see how it works out. We'll see if Fabrizio Romano had it all right. I'm sure that he did. The third thing that we learned this week is that a zombie rumor has reappeared for Bayern Munich. Yes, that's right. Those rumors linking Harry Kane to Bayern Munich have reemerged somehow. Let's take a quick look at these. I don't want to spend too much time on this because, as you know, I am a hardcore uh, Harry Kane denier here. I don't think that he has any intention of leaving Tottenham Hotspur for Bayern Munich, but I know there's a lot of sentiment out there, a lot of people that want to see it, especially the Bayern Munich executives. So we'll just take a little bit of time here and talk about how this rumor came back. So as you know, Bayern Munich has not been shy about expressing its like for Harry Kane. The one thing that we have not heard at all is Harry Kane say that he wants to move to Bayern Munich. So how how did this come back up? Well, We can go over to England where the Telegraph had a story saying that Tottenham Hotspur would not rule out selling Harry Kane, but it would overcharge essentially other Premier League clubs to get Kane and be more receptive of selling him to a foreign club like Bayern Munich. Now, it does not really say that still doesn't say that Kane wants to make a move, that he has any interest in leaving England for Germany, but There is at least this little inkling, this story, and we saw two different stories emerge this week about Kane and Bayern Munich. That is giving some fans hope that Harry Kane might just decide to leave England and head over to Bayern Munich for the next stage of his career. I personally cannot see this happening. I do not think that Harry Kane has any interest in leaving London, or I'm sorry, leaving England. Uh, Who knows where he could eventually end up. To me, it just seems like that Harry Kane is going to be an English player through and through all the way. I think that he has no desire to, to make any move abroad. I know that there were some some stories floating around that uh, Real Madrid could have some interest in him, that PSG could potentially have some interest in him. Certainly, if anyone in Italy could afford him, they would have interest in him as well. But Harry Kane has a lot going for him in England. He is, you know, nearing records. He is an established international player on the English national team. He is in a position where if he maintains his level of play in the Premier League over the next couple of years, 
he will again be a factor on the next English World Cup team. And I know that he'll be old by then, but I don't know that he would get the same type of attention or the same type of benefit of the doubt if he moves on and say, and say goes to Bayern Munich. Uh, personally, would I like to see Harry Kane at Bayern Munich? Sure, it would be great. Bayern doesn't really have a nine right now. And you'd be hard-pressed to find too many nines that are better than Harry Kane, right? Like, that's a no-brainer. But I have a hard time believing this will happen. I think Tottenham Hotspur with this story is really just posturing and letting it be known that if Harry Kane wants to leave for Man City for some reason, uh, or Manchester United, uh, Manchester United, of course, would probably have a little bit bigger need for a nine than Man City right now, considering Erling Haaland is there. But if he wanted to leave and play anywhere else in England, that Tottenham Hotspur was not going to make that easy. And I think more than anything, that's what they wanted to be let known, that if you're an English club, you're in the Premier League and you want Harry Kane, you are going to have to pay. But if you're Bayern Munich, we're still going to make you pay, but it's not going to be quite as much as those other suckers in the Premier League. So I don't put much merit into this, meaning that that Bayern Munich is going to to somehow be able to land Harry Kane I absolutely hope it happens. I just can't see it happening to me until I hear Harry Kane say that he wants to make the move to Germany. I'm just not going to believe it. He's an Englishman through and through to me, and he is not going to leave the island, as they say. So I wouldn't put too much credence in an actual transfer uh, going down, but I guess a story like this does give Bayern Munich executives some hope that they might be able to get one of those patented Brazo PowerPoints and put that in front of Kane and convince him that Bayern Munich is the way, like he's some kind of an English Mandalorian or something. So uh, <laughs> I don't think that that's going to happen, but whatever the case, it, it makes for a fun story, and, and it always does uh, create some buzz at BFW as, as our readership is certainly – uh, they certainly have strong opinions on whether or not they want Harry Kane. I think most people would take Kane in a heartbeat, but not everyone. So uh, we'll, we will follow that story as it continues to evolve, although I don't have much hope for seeing Harry Kane at the Allianz Arena anytime soon. The fourth thing that we learned this week, and this comes hot off the heels of last week's friendly versus Red Bull Salzburg is that Bayern Munich fans should be getting excited for Arjen Ibrahimovic. Now, Ibrahimovic is one of these precocious young talents on the Bayern campus that we have heard so much about over the years, but he has just emerged and just taken off like a rocket over the past two years. His talent level to me is kind of crazy. So he's got wild talent. He's got a very good skill set. He's got an absolutely championship level mentality in terms that it looks to me that when he's on the pitch, he doesn't just think he belongs there. He thinks he owns that pitch. And I know that can be a bad thing for a young player, but I have to admit, I absolutely loved it. And I love the way he played against Red Bull Salzburg. Listen, I'm not saying he's going to be the next Messi. I'm not saying he's even going to be the next Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But what I am saying is I I think that fans have every right to get excited about this kid. Now, he's one of just a number of exciting players for Bayern Munich coming through the youth system right now. Of course, a lot of the attention goes to Paul Vonner, and rightfully so. He is electric in, in and of himself. I mean, he is a very good prospect, and he's shown some really dynamic things with his own play. 
In that particular match against Red Bull Salzburg, though, I really did try and focus on Ibrahimovic, Matisse Tell, Paul Vonner, and Lovrose Vonerick because I wanted to see one, those three youth players, I wanted to see, given that they're all considered attacking midfielders, I wanted to see how they played, how they lined up, how they adjusted and not necessarily being the 10 in that formation. And I also wanted to see, of course, Tell because he has shown great flashes of what he can be. And quickly on Tell, I said this before, I do tend to agree with Julian Nagelsmann. I think Tell is a winger. I think he can be a dynamic presence on the wing. What does that mean moving forward? It still means that there is a hell of a lot of competition on this squad at the wing. And then they probably have too many quality options there. And none of that considers using Jamal Musiala as a wing either, because I still think he probably might be the best wing on the team. But that's a discussion for another day. Tell, I liked what I saw out of him. Of course, how could you not? Came up clutch, did a lot of good things, played confidently. That's what you want to see. As for Ibrahimovic, I loved the mentality. It was an absolute killer mentality. Came on, wanted to make an impact immediately. Took a shot, good shot, got saved. Did not let himself get deterred. Ripped another one and scored. I mean, it was excellent to see. Now, he wasn't perfect. As some other Bayern Munich prospects that we've seen in the past come through the system, he's got a lot of cowboy in him. He will take anybody on. He will sometimes try and force things. One player we saw like that was Leon Dayaku, who, (laughs) I mean, he was an offensive fun fest, had no interest in defense, and really, really just wanted to go on his own the whole time. I mean, he was that kind of player. Ibrahimovic is way better than Dayaku. I can tell you that right now. But he does have some of that same mentality where he believes so much in himself, or at least he seems like he does, that he is willing to take just about any on, take anybody on, and push forward and try and make something happen on his own. I think he's got a lot of good qualities. I think if he can refine his game a little bit, he really could be a dynamic first-team option in the future. And it might not be at Bayern Munich, but it could be somewhere else in the world. Some club is going to recognize the kind of talent that this kid has and invest in him. And that's a win-win situation for Bayern Munich. Obviously, you want to see him stay at Bayern. You want to see him progress through the system, become one of those campus success stories. But even if he doesn't, and it's going to be tough to do that given Jamal Musiala plays the 10 and he is uh, in the same age bracket as these kids. Uh, you want to see him continue to progress so that even if he can't break through a Bayern, he can become the type of player these other clubs covet and they will pay for. So it's a win-win for Bayern Munich. And it was, it's probably the same way for Paul Vonner as well. Vonner, I did not think, looked as good as Ibrahimovic in that friendly. Same thing for Lovrose Vonerich. I thought that those two, I don't want to say they were overwhelmed by the by the game. I don't think they were. But to me, the game still looked a little too fast for them. And it sounds weird saying that about Vonner since he's had way more first-team experience than Zvonarek or even Ibrahimovic. But, uh, you know, Vonner hasn't exactly been handled the best way. There was all of this flipping around what position he'll play, temporarily trying to make him a left back, which I thought was absurd from the beginning. I just want to see the kid get some minutes, see the team, see the kid get out on the field and play. Uh, the fact that now we'll probably see Vonner and Ibrahimovic on the first team a lot of game days, uh, it's exciting, but it's also uh, kind of worrying in the fact that I have trouble seeing how Julian Nagelsmann can get them onto the pitch consistently. 
I know that the big thing is being in the everyday training environment, and that's what will make them better. But in the end, these kids do want to play games. They do want to be out there and show themselves on the big stage. Uh, I don't know how Julian Nagelsmann manages all this talent, how he keeps his veterans happy given the depth that they have there uh, at all different positions and also integrates these young kids into the team. I don't know how he's going to do it. Uh, quite honestly, I think it's just a <laughs> it's a headache waiting to happen. But I do hope that what we saw out of Ibrahimovic got fans excited and that fans are just going to let this kind of ride and and get on the train with him, right? Like, I know you guys are now all ready to jump off because I I, I did not create a, ha- a hashtag Ebra train yet, okay? I didn't do it, okay? I learned my lesson with, with the ARP train, okay? Derailed long ago. As much as I want to see ARP come back, it's probably not happening. Either way, I won't create a hashtag Ebra train so you guys don't think I'm cursing this kid from the get-go, but I do think you should hop on his bandwagon. You should get excited for him. He's pretty dynamic, and he's extremely confident. Those are some great qualities to have as a young player, so get excited for him. The fifth thing that we learned this week is that this Bundesliga title race is going to be exciting as hell. It's going to be wild. Now, as you can tell, this Jan Summer signing probably – pushes Bayern Munich a little bit ahead of the pack right now. It gives them an edge, there is no doubt. But I love what I'm seeing out of RB Leipzig. I like that I that Borussia Dortmund, to me anyway, that there's just enough going on in that squad, that there's just enough competition, that there's just enough controversy, that every player there is going to want to push to be better, to prove himself. And I think that in a weird way, all of the stuff going on there, whether it's, you know, too many players at certain positions, you saw from Mukoko having an uncertain future there, uh, links to Remy Bensabayani and, uh, and a bunch of other players. I think it creates just enough havoc within that team to push them to elevate themselves. A lot of teams might be distracted by all of that, but I do think that this Dortmund team is somehow going to rally around Eden Terzic. And they're going to push forward and have a good second half of the season. I don't even think they're quite as talented as RB Leipzig is these days. But I do think that Leipzig and Dortmund are going to be the two, uh, I guess, clubs at the forefront of pushing Bayern Munich. The only thing that I would say about those two teams is they do have the propensity to let down in bad situations where they play down to the level of competition that they face. And that could plague both of those clubs as they try and catch Bayern Munich. And and believe me, it is attainable for them to catch Bayern. If you look at the standings, you'll see Bayern is sitting atop there with 34 points, but Freiburg's in second with 30. Leipzig is in third with 28. You've got Frankfurt and Union Berlin at fourth and fifth, each with 27 points. You've got Dortmund with 25 points in sixth place. And you've got Wolfsburg, seventh, 23 points. Much Gladbach, 22 points in eighth, and Werder Bremen uh, sitting in ninth place at 21. And no Marco Polo, I am not going to mention Werder Bremen as a potential uh, contender for the Bundesliga. I think it's actually kind of funny that they're way up in ninth place. Uh, but I think it's about an eight-team race. I don't even think Wolfsburg and Munch and Gladbach really have a legitimate shot. They could push into Europe. I think Wolfsburg will be an interesting club to watch in the second half because Nico Kovac, if those players believe in what he's pushing, if they buy into him like Eintracht Frankfurt did back in the day, that could become a contending squad for sure. Dortmund, like I said, will push its way up. 
Union Berlin, I expect to take a step back. I don't think that they can quite maintain what they pushed through in the first half of the season. Their final three games of the first half were two losses and a draw, of course. Eintracht Frankfurt seemed to be rounding in the form, but again, I expect them to be overtaken at least by Dortmund. I think that they're still a top six team for sure, uh, but they will have some difficulty against clubs like Bayern Munich, Leipzig, and Dortmund. As for Freiburg, uh, I expect them to take some steps back, quite frankly. I think Christian Strike does not get enough credit for what he's done with that club, what he's done with that team. They have really, I mean, exceeded all expectations in the first half of the season. They are pushing themselves into the upper echelon of the league, and they're doing so with a team mentality. They're not relying on stars. Eventually, overwhelming talent will take its toll on a team like Freiburg when they have to consistently face up with Bayern or Dortmund or Leipzig. It's going to eventually wear them down. I think that Freiburg is well poised to stay in the top six, however, which is, I think, a great thing for them. Getting the opportunity to play in Europe, I think, would serve them well. And I I think Strike, if you want to say anything about him, he absolutely gets the most out of his teams, and he's doing so once again. So get excited for the Bundesliga. I know last week I talked about in my final segment how excited I was for Bayern Munich's second half of the season. When looking at the Bundesliga, I am just as excited because I think that the title race is going to be a lot of fun. I do think Summer does give Bayern that final push to get away to the next level, away from play, from clubs like Leipzig and Dortmund. But it's going to be fun to watch play out. Say Summer doesn't integrate in a good way. Say he struggles. Say he gets hurt. Say Byron gets bitten by that injury bug that it always seems to get bitten by. It could turn out to be pretty exciting. But in the end, whether it's close or not, there are going to be some great games. There are going to be some fun games, I think, that fans are going to enjoy. So enjoy this second half of the season. No matter how Byron Munich fares, and I expect them to finish with another league title, The league itself is going to provide you some good times. And I think as a fan, that's what you want. You want to see good competitive games. You want to see exciting games. You want to see a lot of players having fun out there as they're playing. I think we are going to see that given how some of these clubs look right now. Uh, Get excited for it. It's going to be a, it's going to be a wild ride. I think the final thing I'll leave you with, of course, I like to do a little bit of an entertainment rundown. And the only thing, I would say I'm consistently watching right now and and consistently is a funny word to use because it's only had one episode. I did watch the premiere of The Last of Us. And of course, The Last of Us is based on a video game. And if you know me and you've heard me talk before, I don't play video games because I I know I would enjoy them too much. I absolutely 100% know they would become a distraction in my life, probably take away from my work. I'd probably want to be doing, you know, playing video games rather than doing some other things that I do. Uh, I just know my mentality and know it would be too much fun for me. So I purposely avoid them. So I went into this show not knowing a ton about The Last of Us, other than it was a zombie-related video game that had an acclaimed story. Uh, and it was really became renowned for the storyline that it had. That's what I knew. I didn't know a lot about the actual story. So what I can say about the premiere is I didn't come away blown away like yes i have to see the next episode of this and i always love to have that from a premiere because i want that feeling that i'm going to be fully invested in this and that there is going to be entertainment delivered to me i didn't come away like that 
I did come away though, enjoying it. I did come away thinking, I'm going to stick this out. I'm going to see where it goes. So here's what I liked about the episode. I loved the opening scene. I loved that we got the start of this theory that this scientist had about how things could evolve for the human race that might lead to something like what happened. It was fascinating to see that. And I thought it was the perfect way to start the series. Get it all out of the way. Say how this happened right off the bat and then watch it play out. And as we got to meet the characters, I will tell you that I think that the character, the actor selection was really, really good when it comes to casting those main roles. And at least from what I can tell at this point, the lead actors in the show were Pedro Pascal as Joel, Anna Torv as Tess, Gabrielle Luna as Tommy, who is Joel's brother, and Bella Ramsey, who many people know from uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, she's cast as Ellie, who seems to be the primary figure of the show, maybe not the lead character like I would consider Joel to be. But either way, we start the show and you see that there's pretty much what looks like your average kind of family. It's a, a father and his daughter. The father's brother lives with them. So it's not your, you know, you know, nuclear family we're used to that you might see in a lot of TV shows, but it's a family nonetheless. And they're working they're going to school it's a normal life they have neighbors they're interacting with them but we pick up on the day where the world turns essentially uh they're in austin texas it's the dad's birthday joel and the daughter's trying to do something nice she goes and she gets his watch fixed and as he comes home and they're kind of trying to enjoy his birthday the world goes to hell and (laughs) with that it was kind of interesting to see the initial chaos and panic that was going on, how no one knew what to do. The military was kind of just enacting a kill everyone you have a question about kind of deal. It, it made for a lot of excitement, a lot of fear. The way that the scenes were shot, it was very suspenseful. And I did enjoy the opening part of the show a lot. I thought it was the best show, not just the opening scene, but the whole opening sequence about what happened when the world started to fall and what these new age sort of zombies looked like, how they interact, how they acted, how they attacked, all of that. So I loved that part of it. Where the show fell off for me is when we fast forwarded three years uh, to this dystopian society in Boston where apparently Joel and his brother Tommy had traveled somehow to Boston. We don't really get to see how or why or whatever, but they're living behind a huge wall. I'm assuming this is to protect them from the zombies and the world outside. And it seems like there is a hyper sense of attention placed on anyone who's, who might have this fungus or this virus, whatever it is. Um, anyone infected immediately gets eliminated. So there is this, this huge sense of attention to staying within the walls, doing what you need to do, not breaking the law, etc., Uh, So we get the sense right away that this is a a very tough way to live. There's not a lot of freedom and that you just have to survive within these walls and it's not optimal. The problem I had with it, with the time jump, to me, it eliminated so much of what I wanted to see. And I know that they had to move quickly and they had to introduce the character of Ellie, who, uh, of course, Bella Ramsey's character, who appears to be a child who is, I don't want to say immune to this fungus or this virus or this infection, but uh, she has not been affected by it. And 
we're not seeing how or why yet. We just know that she needs to be delivered somewhere and that Joel is going to be the person to do it. And he's going to do it with Tess. And all along the way, they're going to try and get Tommy from some kind of situation that he is involved in. So uh, a lot is going on. You met a lot of other characters as well. Uh, to me, the second half of the show really trailed off. But again, I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to be hopeful that this is going to have a payoff that we're going to see some good television for once from HBO because I've not been really thrilled with a lot of their most recent shows. But I am hoping that given this different kind of zombie story, it can help erase some of the pain that I felt with the ending of The Walking Dead. And I will tell you, I I was a big fan of The Walking Dead and it's particularly the first couple of seasons because I thought it told the story so well about the world falling, about the outcomes of that, how people changed, how people acted, how they needed to try and survive in this new world. It appears like we've got some of those answers already with The Last of Us. But I will say that I think that this show has potential, but I'm not quite positive how this video game storyline is going to translate fully over to this show. Of course, when you're working through shows with multiple seasons, it's very much nuanced. There's a lot more that goes into it than telling a video game story. I think the baseline materials is pretty good and pretty interesting. But as someone who came into this from the outside looking in, uh, you know, I certainly wasn't overly thrilled with how the story was told throughout the first episode. And like I said, I thought the second half dropped off a little bit. But hey, it doesn't mean it's going to be a bad show or that I even disliked it. I did enjoy the time I spent watching it and how I judge thing is, was it worthwhile for the first episode? Yeah, it was worthwhile. The first half of it was good enough to where uh, I felt like that made it worth my time investment watching it. So that's about it for this show. That's all I got in the last of us. If you've got some thoughts on it, please either drop them in the comment section of this post or the weekend warm up post either way. Uh, definitely I want to hear what you thought of that premiere episode. If you haven't checked it out, check out our preview show for the Bayern Munich-RB Leipzig match. I also hosted that one. So you should check that out. Get my thoughts on how those teams match up ahead of this game. It's going to be a great one in my mind anyway. Uh, as always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our tweetmeister, Tom Adams, at TommyAdams71. And if you are lucky enough to be in Florida this weekend, particularly Orlando, uh, you'll probably see Tom down there. I'm sure he's probably got all of his Bayern jerseys on. Or I mean, he, he's down there for a couple of days. He probably brought a few of them. Hopefully, if you see him, he's wearing a Bayern jersey, not one of those stupid Liverpool jerseys that he sometimes wears. You can also get uh, I Need No Name at BFWINNN. Of course, I'm just joking about Tom. I always like to poke some fun at him. Uh, hey. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the show. Have a couple of beers on me and enjoy the Bayern Munich RB Leipzig match. Drop me some comments. Hit me up on Twitter. I want to hear from you. Love talking to you guys. Love getting your feedback. And uh, hey, enjoy it. Like I said, have some beers on me and I will catch you next week.